Lord, thank you so much that you are a God that is the God of every season of life. Lord, thank you that you are a God when we see things closing, when we see chapters of our lives moving on. Lord, thank you you are the God that celebrates with us when we see newness and goodness come. Lord, thank you that you are a God that stands with us at a grave site. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that comforts us, that gives us peace. Your word says that you provide a purpose and a future for our lives. Lord, thank you that you are a God that sees into all the seasons that our lives contain. Lord, and while you look through all of those seasons, you see yourself standing right next to us. This morning, God, as many of us have different chapters in life where you have provided great things, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be grateful, to be excited, and to give all glory to you. Lord, for the, the needs represented in our church, for physical needs, God, for vocational needs, Lord, for uh, relational needs. God, we lay those at your feet and we trust you because you are a God that sees all of our lives and you are a God that walks with us within it. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. And we gather here in this place every single week not just to see friends and eat cookies, Lord, but to lift your name higher. Because you are a God that is, whose name is worth lifting. You are a God who's worth trusting. You are a God who's worth believing. Lord, I pray this morning that, that we would do just that. That we would learn new ways to trust, to follow, and to love you more. God, we love you so much, and we ask all of these things in your precious son's name. Amen. Well, good morning again. I have no more announcements, so <laughs> rest, <laughs> rest at ease. Woohoo, what, really? <laughs> well, good morning. We are starting a new sermon series this morning called James, a faith that walks. And I am excited to be in James because James is one of the most challenging books of the Bible. Um, and I love challenges. Uh, it is impossible for you to be alive and love Jesus and not be challenged by what James has to say. Um, so with that being said, uh, don't kill the messenger on this series. <laughs> I'm just going to say uh, what scripture uh, points out in this, in this book. Uh, while we are in this four-week-long series, I have a personal challenge for you. I want to challenge you to read the book of James while we are in this series. But I don't want you to just read it once. James is a short book, okay? I'm going to challenge you to read the entirety of the book of James once a week. And it's five chapters, guys. <laughs> so what that would look like is for you to read the first, the five chapters, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then take two days off, and then restart all over again on Monday. Because the book of James has so much truth nestled in it that it's impossible for us to go over it all in just four weeks. So if you came with a friend or if you're sitting next to a friend, maybe look at them right now and just be like, all right, let's do this, right? All right? 
All right, you just found your accountability partners. Uh, so uh, this morning, as we jump in, I really like to start every sermon series just praying that the Lord would have his way in it. So let's pray this morning. God, as we start a new book of the Bible, I pray that you would absolutely use it, uh, God, to edify us, to make us uh, holy, Lord, to uh, make us look more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so James is a letter who is written by... James. Yeah, we're, we're good. We're good. We already know most of this. Uh, is written by James. He is the half-brother of Jesus, which, like, talk about sibling rivalry, you know? Uh, James, why can't you be like your older brother? Well, he's God, so that's impossible. Uh, so James is the half-brother. He also is the leader of the Jerusalem Council, which was the leadership of the church of that day, and he writes the book of James charging followers to live like Jesus, which is a little ironic because James struggled to believe in Jesus. Now, I can't blame him for that. Um, I will show you why. I have a picture of my brother. Uh, yes, okay. This is, <laughs> this is me. This is my brother's wife. Pray for her, Maria. And then this is my brother, okay? He was determined that while we were seeing Pike's Peak, he was going to see a bear. So that's the face he made. And now it's on a big screen. Um, <laughs> this is Adam. He's about eight years older than me. And let me tell you what, if this goofball one day said he was the son of God, I'd be like, yeah, right, okay? <laughs> I'd be like, get over yourself. Um, so this is James in a nutshell. And so we're going to jump in in James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. It says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And this is what I think that James is saying in this scripture. He's saying that we are educated far beyond our level of obedience. We are educated far beyond our level of obedience. Some of us, maybe Jesus is new to us, and we're at church just trying to figure him out, and that's great. But a lot of us have grown up around the church, haven't we? Uh, we have memorized the verses, we have gone through Sunday school, we have done all of those things, and we have crossed all the boxes. And maybe you've been sermoned to death. <laughs> You don't need to fill out another outline to get another notebook of things that you probably won't apply anyway. And Stephen Furtick, he talks about this. He says, revelation without application leads to stagnation and frustration. And that's a lot of shuns. Let me read it one more time. Revelation without application leads to stagnation and frustration. Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but let me just ask, have you felt frustrated in your faith recently? Maybe you have even felt like it is stagnant. Like it's not going anywhere. It's not moving. And what Stephen Furtick suggests is that it's because we are not applying the Word of God. It's not changing anything because, and it's not for lack of information. You get it every week. But it's for lack of application. So I want to give you, I am going to show all my cards this morning. I'm going to give you my sermon in one sentence. Don't just listen to God's Word do what it says. 
So uh, we can go home now. Um, it was good. Good. If you guys can just master that, that'd be great, right? <laughs> but we're going to unpack it this morning because I think what James is suggesting is something that is all over our nation. And specifically, if I can talk about Colorado Springs for a second with all of its ministries and all of its centers, is running rampant in our city alone. And this is the thing that I would call fluorescent light bulb theory, okay? I'm going to patent it, don't worry. Um, but I would say that when you came into church this morning, you probably noticed a lot of things. You probably noticed how, like, the quality of the cookies outside. You noticed your friends. You noticed your marvelous pastor. You noticed all of the things. What I bet you didn't realize was what a marvel it was that the lights were on. Like, you didn't walk into this building and think, wow, those are some good fluorescent light bulbs. But let me ask you this, if you walked in and all those bulbs were out, suddenly something that blends into the background is at the forefront of your mind, and you start wondering some things. You know, you think, did Lindsay pay the electricity bill? Uh, did she forget to turn on the lights? Like, were the lights always this dark? And we start wondering those things because it blends in the background. And I think that we start to do this with the Word of God, too. It's all, it's everywhere. Uh, it's in, on buildings that we see when we drive. We see them on billboards. We see them uh, when you come in here. It's everywhere. I had a friend when I was growing up. He was my youth pastor, Pastor Brian. And Brian, I talk about him a lot because he passed away just about five years ago. But Brian had an amazing story. And he loved going on missions trips. One of his favorite mission trips to take was smuggling Bibles into countries where the Bible was illegal. And just to give you like an insight to Brian's personality, uh, he didn't just want to smuggle them. He actually purchased like a satchel, a messenger bag, with the communist leader's face on it to smuggle the Bibles inside of. Uh, that's who Brian was. And on his last trip, he smuggled 800 pounds of Bibles into this country. 800 pounds. And he would tell me, Lindsay, you got to go on these trips. They'll change your life. And I was like, I don't want to die, but whatever. Uh, and he said, you have to go. And he would tell me these stories about how he would bring these believers who had no word of God ever, their first copy of scripture. And he said that when they came to knowing God and when they came to have the word of God in their hands, it was like a light turned on. And suddenly, things were different. See, we struggle to understand that in America. Bibles are about as common as a Big Mac. Uh, in 2005, we purchased 500,000 Bibles a week. They're everywhere. You can have them on your phone, on your tablet. You can Google it. And I think that to a certain extent, it is everywhere so much that it starts to become meaningless. No wonder we're not applying it. Paul talks about this in Romans 2. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It's obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. He says the gospel is twofold, part listening and part doing. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever seen these magic eye things? They were really popular in the 90s. All right. How many of you can, like, see the picture in the magic eye? All right, good. I know who the liars are. Okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, I, 
for the life of me could not understand these. And they printed them in the Saturday morning paper, and my siblings would like get them, and they would marvel at it, and I would stare at it, and stare at it, and stare at it, and it still looked like a bunch of squiggles, right? <laughs> and I remember one time my sister, she said, Lindsay, you're doing it wrong. You don't need to look at the picture. You look through the picture which sounded like something that one of my D.A.R.E. officers warned me about in elementary school, if you know what I mean. Uh, but I said, whatever, I'll give it a try. And I, I looked at it, and I stared, and I looked through the picture, and like, you know, my brain started turning into goo, and my eyes started going cross-wide, and I started, and then suddenly, boom, I saw it. It was a whale. And I thought, that's it? <laughs> That's it. Like, what are the purpose of these pictures? Like, nobody's going to hang this in their living room and say, look, if you stare at it on your head for 27 hours, you're going to see free willy for three seconds. Like, that doesn't make any sense. But I think that we approach scripture in a very similar way. Uh, that, that if we look at it long enough, and if we stare at it, and if we focus on it, if we come to church and we look at it really good, look through it, that somehow that's going to translate to life change uh, that somehow that's going to change us. And don't get me wrong, we have to go deep into Scripture. I love going deep into Scripture. Every single week I get the blessing to go into the context, the language, the meaning, the author, the history of everything that we learn in this building. But I think sometimes we get so far into Scripture that we can find ourselves looking through it instead of looking at the truth at face value. And James says, point blank, the gospel's twofold, part hearing, part doing. And the book of, the Bible is, it is unlike anything else. Uh, this, this book is a, a philosophy book, it is life instruction, it is poetry, it is tragedy, it is history, it is revelation, it is hope. And every single religion has a book. But besides the fact that ours is true, something else sets it apart. And that's the fact that this book is reflective. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, James 1, verse 23. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. How many of you guys used a mirror to get ready this morning? Right? Yeah, and if you didn't, you don't have to raise your hand. We know, okay? <laughs> we, we need a mirror to get ready every single morning. And I had an incident with the mirror this week. Uh, I woke up on Monday morning. I was still excited about church and everything. I was ready to, like, you know, conquer the gates of hell and everything. And I get up, I get ready, I go and I have a meeting with Pastor Heather about the women's camping trip. And we're excited. I have a meeting with Pastor Kurt, and I'm like, yeah, this went really well. And then... It's like 2 o'clock, and I realize I should probably eat something. So I go home, get lunch, look in the mirror, and I have, I'm not kidding, this is not an exaggeration, two thick black lines running down the center of my face. Somehow, I had smudged all the way down. And I look at myself, and I'm like, this is cruel. And then I start wondering who my real friends are, but whatever. Uh, but, but mirrors, they're cruel. And mirrors can be cruel not because... They're mean, but because they're honest, right? It shows every blackhead 
It shows every pimple, it shows every pound, it shows every wrinkle, every blemish, it shows every spinach in your teeth, it shows every pound that you've gained or lack thereof, it shows all of the hair follicles or lack thereof. Mirrors can be cruel. In fact, the better the mirror, the more it points out. It's like, why do we keep these stupid things around? <laughs> because as unpleasant as the truth is, it allows us to see what needs to be adjusted. It allows us to see what needs to change. And with all that in mind, this book, the Bible, is a mirror. It is reflective. It shows us what needs to be adjusted in our lives. It tells you plainly the truth about your life. And when we neglect this mirror, we start looking in a different mirror, a mirror that the world has to offer, that could basically be a funny, funny house mirror that distorts and confuses and doesn't show you who you really are. And James says we do this because we just glance at Scripture. Uh, 23, it says, For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself and you walk away. No wonder we don't read the Bible with consistency. I would say that one of the leading causes of us neglecting the Word of God is because we're scared of what the mirror is going to hold. We're scared of what, what God is going to say needs adjusting. What is going to be reflected back in you? See, the world would like to reflect a, a life that is all together. And what God shows you is the things that are going to provide freedom and victory through his grace and his mercy and his adjustment. Mark Twain, he said, it is not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. It's the parts that we know are waiting for us in front of the mirror. We avoid mirrors the same reason we avoid the truth of God. You know, we're, we're, we wake up late, we're busy, we have a bad hair day, we put on some weight. And the Word of God says, no, dig deeper. Look closer into my face. And because the reality is, is that while this mirror, while this mirror reflects what you are and all the ways that you need to adjust and how you can be more like Jesus, it also reflects your worth. Uh, this mirror also contains the verse that says that you are perfect in his eyes, that you are loved by a father and worth dying for. This is the same mirror that says that there is no condemnation in his eyes when he looks at you. That's this mirror. Listen, the word of God reveals who you are in light of who he is. And it's kind of ironic because churches that stand on this word and use it as a mirror, you know what they're accused of? Not going deep enough. Not going deep enough into scripture because you just keep showing me the ways that I need to adjust. And listen, I want to go deep into the text every single week, but I want to open it up in a way that is not confusing, but inspiring, and that moves us to be more and more like Jesus. We're here to study God's Word, and it's not for me just to wax eloquent and to sound impressive to you. It is to realize how it impacts me and how my life is different because Jesus is Lord. And 
the reality is, is that deep, it means focused. Deep means focused. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, when we do a series in here and we talk about marriage and intimacy and relationships, uh, we do that not because, you know, it's, I just have way too many marriage counseling sessions on my plate. No. We do that because the Word of God is deep, and it says that we need to love our spouse. Ephesians 5, verse 22, wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as the Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Folks, that's deep. Like, if your spouse went home today and loved you exactly like that, it would change everything. That's deep. You know, when we talk about finances and we say that God is calling you to give 10% of your income, I will let you in on a little secret. It is not because I want your money. We, and initially, when we bring up this topic, it's like, oh, just turn that off. She's just struggling. That's not it. We want you to go deep in your relationship with Christ, and we don't want money to own you. Malachi 3, verse 10, it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. I love that. He's like, bring it on, <laughs> says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. We want you to be deep in your relationship with Christ, and we don't want money to be your master. When we talk about serving and volunteering, we don't just need people to, to rally our cause. It's because Christ calls us to serve. Galatians 5, verse 13, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Giving your life away makes you deeper. When we ask you to be a part of life groups or women's or men's or youth or children's or mentoring or discipleship, it's not because we want you in a program. It's because we want you to be deeper in your relationship with Christ. Hebrews 10, we read this this morning, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. And I, let, me, let me just say this. When we talk about life groups, there's a certain majority of people that will say, I just don't need that. I just don't need it in my life. What if you don't? What if you have somehow reached the pinnacle of your relationship with Jesus? But somebody else needs you to walk with them while they're wrestling with their faith. See, we want you to go deeper because the word of God is deep. And James says that, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Now, I'm going to tell you something that is profound that you might not already know. This, this mirror does not fix what is broken. Uh, this mirror, when I look in it, it doesn't really change anything. I can stare at it for hours, but the donuts are still taking their toll, right? You know, I can look at it for hours, but the bald spot is still there. The mirror does not fix what is broken. And many of us would say that this Bible alone will change your life. I would submit to you that it doesn't. The truth of this Bible put into action in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit changes lives. 
It's when we take it beyond just the pages and the studying, and we let it impact every part of us. We let it impact how we love others. We let it impact how we talk to others. We let it impact how I talk to myself. This word of God, it will not do anything if it is not applied to our lives. And many of us, we have it backwards. We say, we come to church and we get the information. And when we get that information, it transforms us somehow. And because it transforms us, our lives will be different because of it. When has that ever worked out? No, we get the information, we apply it into our lives, and God transforms us. I have this on the screen for you. God's word is information. We must do the application that leads to transformation. Another one with a lot of shuns. The, word, the mirror doesn't change anything. It simply provides the context for what needs to be changed. Uh, Richard Foster, in his celebration of discipline, he said, the central purpose of Scripture is not doctrinal purity, but inner transformation. We come to the Scripture to be changed, not to amass information. Listen, God's Word alone won't change you. You coming to church every single week and worshiping and listening uh, that's going to be do as just about as much as me staring in the mirror hoping to make me fit. <laughs> and while I wish that were true, it has to go beyond just staring at the mirror. Verse 22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. That word fooling is translated as deceiving, uh, to discount, to cheat, to reroute, to circumvent. That means that if the gospel is part hearing and part doing, and I'm not doing the second half, I am fooling myself, and I haven't received the fullness of the gospel. It's not about us going deep into God's word. It is about God's word going deep into us. It's not about going deep into God's word. While that is wonderful and it, it produces scripture going deep into us, it is about God's word resonating at the core of who we are and changing our lives because of it. No matter what church I've been a part of or visited or served at or on staff or whatever, I have heard this complaint surface no matter what. We always get to a point where somebody will say, I just wish that the preaching was deeper here. And I, I think that I know what they're saying. Um, this is another Lindsay original theory. But I think I know what they're saying. They're saying, Pastor, please confuse me. Because if, if you confuse me, I'm not obligated to do anything with it. Pastor, please confuse me. But don't tell me I have to love my spouse, because that means I'm going to have to do the dishes. <laughs> Pastor, please confuse me. But don't tell me that I have to share the love of Jesus with my neighbors because that makes me uncomfortable. Pastor, please confuse me. But don't tell me that I have to love everybody because those people are annoying. Pastor, please confuse me. Just don't make it so I have to change. Go ahead and say something incredibly deep. See, the word of God is deep enough. 
It is so deep that it cuts us. Hebrews 4 verse 12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one whom we are accountable. Folks, listen, good sermons ain't going to change you. Good sermons applied to your life will change you. Good sermons that you hear that inspire you, that challenge you, that that change your perception of who God is, and then goes home and changes your life, that changes. That's transformation. So let me ask you, what have you seen in the mirror recently? What have you seen in the mirror maybe during this sermon? What if we treated the Word of God not like a mystery, but as a mirror? What if on Sunday morning we didn't think about how how great the worship went and the children's and the message? And what if we had started to ask ourselves, what is the one thing that God is asking me to adjust this week? That before I have to hear her yell at me again, (laughs) I will have put into motion. What is that one thing? It might be a whole slew of things. I don't know. But I think it's worth considering. So this morning, I want to ask you uh, to do something different. I want you to grab that connection card that's in the seat back in front of you. Every single person, just grab one new, different, whatever. There's a pen around you. But I want to ask you to do something kind of bold. Um, And it will also create a lot of work for me. So it's kind of like a twofer, all right? Um, I want to ask you to write your name on that card. And in the section about prayer, write something that the Lord has said needs adjusting in your life. Something that maybe I can walk with you with. Something that you need prayer for. Something that the Lord was like, enough is enough, my child. We have to deal with this. And my challenge for you is to slip it in the, in the box behind the sanctuary. I will read those. And if, if you are so gracious and so loving, I will follow up with you next week. I'll be praying for, for you all throughout the week because of it. And we're going to start putting God's word into action. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much that you are a good father. Lord, that you do not call us to just stay where we are but to move closer and closer and closer to who you are. God, I thank you that you gave us your word, your life instruction. Lord, I thank you so much that you loved us so much that you wrote to us on how our lives can live freer. Lord, this morning I, I, would, I would bet that we have a lot of people who have avoided the mirror. But God, we don't want to be people that just glance at your word and walk away as if we forgot it. Lord, we don't want to see the spinach in our teeth and then pretend like it doesn't exist. Lord, we want to adjust so that we can look more and more like your son. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would give us a boldness and a courage to do just that, to look more and more like your son. God, as we worship together in closing, I pray that you would bring to mind that which maybe we need somebody walking with us in. 
Lord, and give us the grace and the encouragement to walk together towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.